0: You know, one of the smartest things that my dad did for me was when I got out of school and the first year that I worked for him full time, there had been five or six years while I was in grade school that I worked for him part time, which I was pretty much there almost every day after school doing menial jobs, but things that you had to learn from the bottom up. And he said, you're going to be in meetings with me with bankers. You're going to be in meetings with me with insurance people. You're going to be in meetings with me with record company people, with artists, with the musicians, and you're going to sit at the back of the couch and you're not going to say a word because you have one mouth and two ears and I want you to listen to twice as much as you speak but I really don't want you to talk I want you to take in everything that I do and how I interact with these people you know I don't know if I'll ever have the ability to do that with somebody whether it's one of my sons or someone else that I kind of shape and you know kind of mentor but that was a crucial thing that he did I don't know if he was the greatest delegator but that that one year was a big big thing that I think most people should do with their children if they're going to ever work in your business
1: Welcome, you are listening to the Hero of the Hour podcast, the show dedicated to empowering you to take financial freedom into your own hands. Through expert interviews with decades of experience, this show will give you not only the tactical strategies of what's working in business, but the appropriate mindsets to master your financial future and build generational wealth. Heroes and entrepreneurs operate with a similar anything-is-possible mentality, and that is exactly what our show is about. Your host is none other than Mark B. Murphy, CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and best-selling author of three books, all dedicated to helping others plan for generational wealth. He and his team are on a mission to share their knowledge and techniques so that others can enjoy a life of financial security and freedom. Get ready to be inspired to create the life of your dreams. Let's go.
2: In today's episode of the Hero of the Hour podcast, Mark chats with Troy Germano, owner and CEO of Germano Studios' The Hit Factory. Troy's been in the music business since 1975, and he's had some big names run through his studio. From Michael Jackson to the Rolling Stones to John Lennon, the list goes on and on. In today's episode, you'll get an exclusive look into the creative process at The Hit Factory. You'll also get to learn about the toughest part of running a family business and the importance of relationship building in the music industry. Get ready for an incredible episode. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Mark Murphy, founder and CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and author of three books with my newest, The Ultimate Investment. And today I have a very special guest joining me. I'm excited because he's not only one of my best friends, he's a successful entrepreneur, Troy Germano. And I know, Troy, you're also active in developing analog audio speakers. Uh, You have a virtual uh, digital professional audio plugins and and studio design. So we can get into all of the stuff that's going on, but you know, one of the things is we call this uh, our Hero of the Hour podcast. So I invite people that are either my personal heroes or people that are heroes to other people. And so the first question I have is, how do you define a hero and,
0: you know, who's a hero to you? Well, first, Mark, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's an honor to be a part of this. You know, hero is a big word. And that's a word I think that you have to really understand the definition of what it is in terms of business and being an entrepreneur. And a hero to me is someone that is always there for their clients and most importantly always there for their staff doesn't matter whether you're in the recording studio business or the insurance business any kind of finance business you the, the the point is you want to develop your staff to be more important than yourself because you want a legacy to continue and you want a company to grow and as great as i am at what i do my engineers are a big part of what keeps this constantly going, and all different artists of different genres wanting to be here. So, you know, this is going to kind of sound corny or as if it was set up, but a hero to me is someone like you, someone that actually, like you know, runs their business twenty five eight, not twenty four seven, not to the point where they don't have a life, but they've really made it a part of their life. And I think that's really what a, a hero is, and a hero should be. And for me to be able to show up every day and be here for my clients and equally as important, my staff. I mean, that to me, that is the definition of a hero in the business world that I live in.
2: You know, one of the things I said for you know, a couple of decades is you've got more charisma in your pinky than most people have in their whole body. How important is that to your success? I
0: think, you know, I am who I am. And I think, you know, being mentored by my dad, who was a a nightclub singer who had a few record deals in the early 60s. I think I've always been around uh, musicians and famous people in the entertainment business. And I think, you know, they're friends the same way if we were in the sports business and you played for the Giants and I was your son. It's the same type thing. We're going to be around athletes and people that um, are people like anyone else. So I think that that. Relationship building thing that has always been the key from day one. You know, people come here to these studios and we're kind of like a nomad caravan because between my father and myself, we've moved around seven or eight times within New York, as well as being in Miami and as well as being in London. So it's it's the relationships around the globe that make this business work. It's not just with the artists or the bands, it's the actual musicians that play on the records, it's the record company presidents or chairman, it's the A&R people, it's the people in the admin department of the record companies, it's the managers, it's the engineers, it's the mixers, it's everybody. So, and I think treating people with respect and giving them their due, especially when they start to become famous. And of course, sometimes you're dealing with a lot of egos in the music industry. That's, they earn their due. So you got to be able to respect people and build a relationship. And it, and I don't look at it as networking. I look at it as building friends on different levels. And they can rely on me to be able to work here. Yes, these studios are expensive. They always have been. But it's the relationships. And that's kind of, that's, that's where the charisma comes in.
2: The thing I, I always find fascinating is... Every business, my business, your business, every business has gotten just more and more competitive. Why do people pick the hit factory to work in rather than any other studio in the in the world?
0: Well, listen there's a lot of studios that are great that you can work in. I think it's the recipe for success here is it's again the the staff the engineers the junior engineers it's the equipment it's the acoustics the sound of the room the the selection of the equipment and the way it's curated on a day in and day out basis really by me um i don't have a board that i bounce ideas off of i have my my young engineers and i try to get a feel for what they think the clients would like but this is something that i'm very in tune with and i think that's that's one of the reasons people come here you can make a record in the basement in a garage, on a laptop, but you can't get this. This is also like being in a nightclub in terms of a hip hop artist comes in here and they're writing a song. They sometimes write these songs spontaneous on the spot. Um, they have their lyrics of what they want to rap or sing about, but no different than being in a, in a rock session, they need to be comfortable. So if they're able to hear the low end that you would hear in a nightclub, you can't do that at, at home or in a garage or just on a laptop it doesn't work that way but the music business has been a little bit more transient now because you can move the files on computers a lot different than when you were moving analog tape or digital tape so i think those are the reasons besides the success of all the records that are on the wall of the people that have been here over the years and the stories different things that have happened over the years within the studios in different locations i think that's why people come back here
2: what is you know when somebody books an engagement they're going to they're going to record their next great album or a great song, or a great movie track, or whatever they're going to record in the Hit Factory. What does the experience look like? So, so when 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 the Rolling Stones come in, or or any of the artists we've talked about, or you pick anyone we mentioned or didn't mention, what does it look like? So, what what is, what, what, what? So they they I book this engagement. I'm now coming in. What does that experience look like? Because you, I think you create an experience for people that you can't get in, and they're
0: they're all very very different it's almost like a movie set to some degree even though you're not really moving stuff but you do move equipment around some clients come in um with you know a ton of guitars or a a a ton of instruments that you don't necessarily have at the studio that's personal to them so it'll get booked by the manager it'll get booked by the record company or the engineer or the producer and you're trying to now Make everybody be comfortable in an environment, almost like you're overseeing the way a director oversees a film. Even though we're not really part of the creative process, some of the engineers become part of the creative process. But that really does happen with the clients and the songs that they come in with, any musicians. But again, some sessions, for example, when we're talking about pop records and and how they're made, a lot of that stuff can be done last minute because a lot of it is spontaneous. But then that spontaneous thing happens on a traditional rock record as well, where musicians are coming in and they're just trying to get a feel for their place. Being comfortable is a really important thing in a recording environment. And that's a hard word to define, but it's all these different ingredients that I've kind of mentioned that kind of make that experience what it is for the artist or the band that's working in the studios. Sometimes they come in for two, three, four days, and sometimes they're here months on end. It's a little different than it was in the 80s and 90s, when people would come in for a year or two years, Paul Simon doing Graceland, for example, he was here for 24 months. Then he came in. Then he came in to do Rhythm of the Saints. He was here for 27 months. Michael Jackson was at the Hit Factory in 1994 working on the History album. He was here for 11 and a half months. When the book, okay, so that's actually a good example. So I get a phone call from Bruce Swedien, uh, who was Michael's engineer for 30 years, and he calls me to book. A couple of weeks for michael jackson and i walk into my dad's office and i say i just heard from bruce and michael jackson's going to come in for three weeks he goes no he'll be here for a year my father was correct and you know michael was in six of our eight rooms at the time on a daily basis with different producers and working around the clock and not wasting time i mean he could have made 10 records in the in the span of those 11 and a half months that he was here so you know when there's young engineers here and they're around people like that or keith richards or kendrick lamar or frank ocean these are experiences that they're going to remember when they're in their 50s 60s 70s and 80s and they reminisce on their life of the records that they made or they were a part of, even a small part. We play a small part, that the artist is the key, the song is the key. But um, a lot of really cool stuff happens within the studios.
2: Do you keep track of like how many Grammys you've won or been nominated for or awards you've won or gold records? Do you know how many? I mean, I know we've
0: won... Definitely somewhere between 150 to 200 Grammys. Now, we don't get the Grammy Award, but we're part of that. And there's a a certificate that you can get that shows that you participated in that Grammy. Um, We've won uh, nine Album of the Year Awards since 1975. And we're part of 23 Diamond RIAA-certified uh, platinum records—that's 10 million sales and above in the United States. So I think you know the Hit Factory historically is really on par with Abbey Road in England, which I spent a couple of years at overseeing for Universal. So you know it's 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 it is a very special place, and it has been even while we've as we've moved around over the years.
2: You know, one of the things—do you remember an artist that maybe the public didn't know widely, like it wasn't like a household name, and you heard them in the studio, and you go? That's going to be a hit, and then they blew oh, up. Like,
0: oh, that's happened many times. The most recent one would be Post Malone. I mean, Post Malone was in here. He was coming in quite a bit, working on his first album, uh, Stony, I believe it was. And uh, that really was his breakout album. And why was he, he just knew there was something special, besides the fact that, you know, he was a great hip-hop artist. He was also a pop artist, but there was something very unique. And you could hear, I mean, I could at least hear that I thought a few of those tracks as I'm walking down the hallway or if I walk in and say hi, you knew it was really going to be special and it was going to connect with the public. Because a lot of times, things come in here where you know they're assigned to Sony, Universal, or Warner, and they don't happen. And and they're really great projects and great songs. There's also luck and strategic marketing and timing, things that have to work out for any band or artist to actually succeed. But when you do see that happen and you know it's great, sometimes you really think you're right and it doesn't happen. I mean, music is a very subjective thing and it's personal experience but when it hits the masses it has to hit them in a very targeted way
2: you know i've asked you to tell this story a hundred times because i think it's like the coolest friggin story but tell them the story when you were when you were a little kid with paul mccartney and the, um, and, the, and the photo that, that to me is like that I, I, well you're me, referring to
0: the photo in my office so the, the, this, i'll try to condense it so back in 1974 uh my father got john lennon in an apartment in our building on 52nd street and that summer John was having Julian Lennon stay with him for the summer and he asked me my dad said would you mind living with John for three months and because Julian's going to be here and he doesn't have any friends and I'm like you're here in New York and I'm like sure I was 11 and a half and Julian was 10 and a half and so one night and this is the summer of 74 um the doorbell rings and uh I said to John I said John who's coming up he said oh Paul McCartney and his wife Linda and of course i got completely psyched because paul was always my favorite beetle so i said hey john do you mind if i go downstairs and get this drawing that I did of Paul, of all the yellow submarine stuff that I'd like to give him. He said, sure, no problem. So I go downstairs and I get, I, I get the drawing come back up. And at a certain point in the evening, I, I say to Paul, yeah, I have this drawing that I really want to give you. So I, I gave it to him and I said, you know, to Paul from Troy. And he signed it back to me. No, that's not right. It's to Troy from Paul. And he signed it and pointed a little arrow toward the actual, you know, drawing that I did the sketch of him. Uh, and it's something that I cherish. I mean, it's something that feels it's the coolest it, doesn't, thing. it doesn't feel like it's 48 years ago, but it was 48 years ago. You know, so it's uh, something I'll never, ever forget. And it's a story that people love to hear. Um, And that's just, you know, that just scratches the surface. But that'll be part of the Hit Factory documentary. Um, That'll be just one of the many, many experiences uh, of what happened in the last, you know, almost 50 years.
2: It, it's, you know, the, probably the hard thing about doing a documentary on, on a place that's as famous as the Hit Factory is one of the reasons... You're successful is because you you have millions and millions of dollars of the latest equipment. One of the reasons you're successful is because you create a, a wow experience for those clients that they can't and experience and comfort they can't get anywhere else. But the other reason you're the keeper of the secrets. So so how do you do a documentary and protect the 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 names of your clients? Well,
0: I, I think you want to tell the right stories. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure I'm making a film there's things that go on that people don't need to know about. And just right. in business too, there's just certain things that are like a confessional in a church. It's the same type of thing, but um, no, there's ways to highlight this and have fun with it as well. And, and tell some, some gritty stories that are actually fun. You
2: I think, so, I think, I think some of the artists would actually take pride in the gritty stories from 30 I or 40 years ago. And other people don't, don't want it. Don't, don't want it, Never want that to be revealed again, you know, but, but at the end of it, even though it's a very, it's a, it's a business that people can, you know, you know, you know, you are not dealing with the kinds of people you're dealing with every day. At the end of the day, you're a small you're a small business owner. You're 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 running a family business. What what if people that you know don't don't get to you know don't get to hang out with uh, Paul McCartney and Keith Richards every day? What's uh, and and all these and Post Malone? What would they learn about what what's what's the toughest thing about running a, a business and what's the toughest thing about running a family business?
0: Oh, I think I think this translates it translates to any business it's really, you, you really get out of it what you put into it. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And you have to monitor all aspects of it when you're a small business owner because you don't have a human resources department, for example, and you don't have a big staff. Yeah, in our heyday, when my father was alive, we had 130 people working for us between New York and Miami and managing that was a lot of work and that was built from absolutely nothing with no partners and no silent investors nothing at all and same thing with me so you know this was a smaller version of what the hit factory was um for a moment it was germano studios we've transitioned to the hit factory now now that uh we're moving forward with that brand and it'll keep expanding and it has to expand not just with recording studios, but it has to expand digitally with products and a number of things that we're working on. And some of these things hopefully will become consistent revenue streams as we try to do. But what makes it different from other studios? Kind of that's part of your question is again, I think it's the environment that we offer people here. And it's a consistent, curated, great sounding facility with really, really special people. Uh, And that's not not necessarily just the clients. Yeah, we're very lucky to be around. Around these clients, uh, and a lot of times there are young artists that come in here too, or young bands, and you have to treat them and make them feel as important as Bono and U2 or Jimi Hendrix. I mean, it's you got to make them all feel the exact same way.
2: And I think if you're if you're an aspiring band or somebody that's you know on the way up, I don't think it's any coincidence that the kinds of people who are and became the artists that became that the Hit Factory played even a, a small role, but a role. And helping them get there, and I think that that's what a young artist would want to do. They'd want to, they, they don't want to be with somebody who hasn't done it, they want to be somebody
0: who knows the formula to create success again. It, again, it's a small part, and you know, there's hundreds of gold and platinum records here. And some of those records we did from beginning to end, and some we just did, you know, a few days or a week or two of overdubs, or maybe they recorded the basic track here, or just the vocal, or they were mixed here, or they were edited here. So, again, there are small parts to a uh, an overall big project, and not everybody does record here because it is kind of set up for major artists. But we try to get the young ones in here as much as possible because they're equally as important. That's the future of the business. It has to be the heritage legacy artists, but it also has to be the young artists, and we see that happen quite often.
2: The uh, the other thing is a family business. I mean, you've got two very smart, well educated, successful sons. Uh, one i just getting out of college. One in college. Do you think the uh the Germano legacy goes to the next generation?
0: I, I do. I do. I think I think they'll both be involved in one way or another, but I also think that it has to be more again than just studios. Cause I think what I do is kind of Superman cape type stuff to some degree, because I learned from you know the craziest person that knew how to do this with his eyes closed. So yeah, but I, I see the future of the growth and the expansion of the hit factory a little different than what it's been in the last 50 years, 48 years, whatever it is now. But uh, yeah, the youngest one, I think, really would like to be a part of this, and hopefully he can come in and make a a big impact.
2: So it seems like he'll be graduating from college on the anniversary of the 50th anniversary of... uh
1: of That's the hit the factory.
0: factory. Now keep in mind my father didn't start the hit factory. It was started in 1969 by a songwriter producer that worked with Janis Joplin and the Rolling Stones and Dion Warwick, but it was really more of his writing studio and then my dad purchased the facility on 48th Street in 1975 and then incorporated it and made it into the hit factory as to what it is today. So there's a lot to do and they would have a they, they, you know whoever is going to help me move this forward. It's a uh, it would be big expansion and hopefully we get it to the point where uh Uh, It's a lasting legacy that even lasts beyond the Germanos. That's kind of the goal.
1: Have you noticed that life is getting more and more expensive? From grocery prices to real estate values, everywhere you turn, prices seem to be skyrocketing. Well, Mark has dedicated decades of his career and life to serving entrepreneurs and professionals to build real wealth, and in most cases, multi-generational wealth. The reality is, we all have to navigate turbulent times in this economy, but the difference will be for those that have a roadmap and a customized plan for building wealth. That's why, as a listener to this podcast, we are so excited to share with you first access to Mark's newest book, The Ultimate Investment, a roadmap to grow your business and build multi-generational wealth. When you access this book, you'll discover how to know when you're working a job instead of a business. That hard work isn't all about hours put in. This will make you more productive. Why you need to live with your back against a wall. How to surround yourself with the right people who support your vision. And so much more. Go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book to get access now. Once again, go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book. And now, back to the show. One of the things I've
2: also noticed is that the hit factory has now become like the best kept secret, but but like the hottest place to throw a corporate party or a corporate event right now. What does that look like? What tell tell me Yeah, tell me. we had we
0: had an event in here earlier this year, um, through an event planner where it was somebody, uh, a CEO of another company wanted to have his wife's 50th birthday here, And they, um, they took over both studios for the, for the entire day and, you know, kind of almost made it like a ballroom dining room and a, uh, a place for a band to perform. And, uh, they actually did that, and it worked. And it was only for 13 people. I mean, we could have many people here, but you can have events here, private events, uh, whether they be birthday parties or special business meetings. That I think people should take advantage of. It is kind of a a well kept secret, and it needs to be promoted a bit more. But that was something that I didn't know if we could, you know, actually pull off here. That we didn't. It worked out. It worked out really well. And one of the eagles actually performed for uh for the for the party as well as a a relatively famous dj that came in after the performance uh by the eagle
2: it's i mean it's like it's like a music museum and then if you get some of the best artists in the world to perform there i mean i can't think of a place that would have a better party than than they would
0: and they were and the 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 potential artist was a number of different people and they all would have been they all would have been great but uh yeah, as 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 a space for something like that, um, it is extremely different than being in a, a a rented hotel ballroom. It's a completely different thing, or a nightclub, or a restaurant.
2: How many how many people do you think, if you max capacity for something like that,
0: a hundred. Oh, that's, oh, that's I mean, we have had parties here for 120 to 140 people, music business, playback events when an album or a film is being released and we've worked on it and they want to use it as the center to play the music back. Sam Smith was recently here uh, a couple of months ago and he was in both studios playing back the album for like, you know, tastemakers and press and social media. And he he was really smart about how he did it. He did the his previous album here as well. But this time he used both studios and he moved back and forth between the rooms and they were like you know 45 minute meetings and people would you know there was like three groups in each in each room um and he was able to kind of like you know just navigate back and forth and be able to you know play it in a personal way a lot of times when these records get played back for press or for people that are going to promote and market the record that aren't part of the record company the artist isn't here, but he was here playing the tracks, talking about the songs, what it meant to him, and uh, it's a really smart way to do it. And I think more and more artists will do that as time goes on.
2: I, I'd say one of one of the uh, good great experiences I had this year was uh, I'm not only a friend; I've now become a client because I recorded my my book in the studio, which was a yes, you which, did, uh, which was a fun which a fun experience. Uh, so it's not just people you know re- recording Grammy winning albums. There's movie there's movie video there's movie uh
0: there's voiceover uh, work voiceover work
2: there's correct there's there's audio books there's i mean people are like any place that people need a world-class
0: studio and a sound that is you know you can't necessarily get at home i mean that's the whole thing and uh, we've kind of gravitated toward embracing that technology as well people should be able to do stuff on their on their laptops or on their home pro setups um they don't really have studios at home some people do but as a very small fraction of the population yeah i mean there are bands that have studios there are artists and engineers that have studios but they're not major most of the time they're not major studios on the level of of the names that have become synonymous with recording studios
2: i remember like you know i guess probably among the most famous voiceover guys right now is probably what morgan freeman yeah and i kept saying i, I thought the the technology was so good i did my own audiobook i I thought I was, uh, I thought I looked like, I thought I sounded like Morgan Freeman, who was, uh, yeah. was the, the, the technology oh, yeah, you, made it, I mean, made it, it special.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, you didn't stop the whole time you were here. That, that week, you were pretty much on for your six, seven, eight hours a day. So uh, it's, it's a grind.
2: I I, I don't It's know a how, lot of work. You know, I don't know how, like, I, I was there for, I think, just three days, three or four days. And, um, you know, just the voice or voice or verse. And I, I was like freaking wasted by the end of those couple of days. And I did it during the day. How do uh, the thing I never understand is most of your recording with your top celebrities? They don't show up till 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night and they record no, especially till eight or nine pop- in the morning. How do you sing at three in the morning or five I, in the morning? How do they do that?
0: I mean, especially some of the hip hop artists and some of the pop artists, some of the rock artists, they, they show up late because I think music kind of gets created at night. It's kind of hard to do it during the daytime. I mean, there's you know certain people that don't go into the vocal booth that you were in studio two till one, two, three o'clock in the morning. Rihanna is a perfect example. When she just recently did a, uh... One of the songs, well, she did two songs for the Black Panther, Wakanda Forever film, and she did one of the vocals here. I don't think she went into the live room until three o'clock in the morning. Mariah Carey, another one infamous for being, you know, a, a nocturnal person. She usually doesn't start in the studio until after 11 o'clock at night. Um, and Keith Richards was like that in the 80s when the Rolling Stones did uh, Undercover Here. Mick Jagger would work during the daytime, and this went on for like eight months. Um, and he'd work like nine o'clock in the morning until about seven, eight o'clock at night and uh keith richards was coming at eight o'clock at night and worked eight o'clock in the morning and they were both working collaboratively on the record but doing their own thing as well so i think music is really a night thing but look at how hard you had to work for that you know those four or five days that you were in doing your your voiceover work for the for the audiobook um imagine having to create a recording an album something different no different than being on a movie set though or being a painter with a blank canvas in front of your you know face and you have to turn it into something special so you know, obviously, you're all gifted to be able to do this stuff. And we want to offer that kind of an environment where people want to be here.
2: It's also in the hospitality business, too. It is. You've oh, got, a, the whole, you've got you're there. Yeah. It's like you're creating, you're creating a, like a, a, a one man, one woman, one group night or two group nightclub every night. Slash They've hotel. You've got to come in and slash, have whatever. Slash, they, yeah.
0: Slash, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of the Ritz Carlton to some degree with a creative element. I mean, that is what it is. it is. It is that kind of experience.
2: Whether you mention a name or not. What kind of requests do you get for food, for alcohol, for, you know, what's the famous, the green M&Ms on the the tour? It's not
0: an alcohol thing. It's really a food thing. Um, And there's special requests of, you know, people's riders that what they would normally have if they were playing Madison Square Garden or they were playing, um, I don't know, Yankee Stadium. So it's sometimes it's bizarre requests um, and you try to fill those as best you possibly can. But uh, a lot of times it's very casual. Some people come in here that you would think would be really demanding and they're really easygoing and, you know, very laid back. And other people are very demanding. And then eventually after you warm up to them and they warm up to you, it's, be, it becomes a home. And then at the end of the record, sometimes when people are here, especially in the past, but even now. When the records finish, it's kind of a melancholy moment because you're not going to see that artist and those producers and engineers or musicians again for, you know, maybe never again, or maybe you'll see them in a couple of years when they work on their next record if they happen to be in New York.
2: Going back to the you know, the the nightclub aspect or throwing all the private parties becoming this kind of hot spot for for New York City parties is most people will never be able to sing. Even the people that think they can sing can't sing at the level of, you know, some of the artists you record. Mm-hmm. What but by having a party in your house with a party in your studio with that kind of entertainment, that experience, that's about the closest thing they're going to get to not only a cool experience, but to be able to see what Especially
0: really Especially if they hire in a major artist to come perform. And, you know, the artists now in today's world do corporate events like that all the time, private industrial parties. So uh, it's kind of a secret way to do things uh, that people probably don't necessarily think recording studios are capable of handling. But of course we are. So. Um, yeah, it's it, it does create, I think, a worthwhile experience.
2: You mentioned other digital and other things. Well, I, I you know, coming to a guy who's sixty years old, I, I, I'm just learning about that now. What, what is, what, what do you see being created other there than
0: invisible audio products, plugins, different things? Well, we already have one out now for the Germano Studio Studio One Control Room with a company called Waves that's based in Israel, and they're one of the most famous plugin companies. Plugins are basically virtual copies of equipment that you can have on your computers as opposed to actually having the physical equalizer or reverb or digital delay or compressor or limiter things that shape crush and change sound and enhance sound so yeah you want to kind of set this up for the future so if we ever have a pandemic again there are other revenue streams that are not just service-oriented and based i mean i think service-oriented businesses got destroyed during the pandemic um, and many, many of them didn't survive. And it was, it was tough for us too. I mean, even a, a small business like this, but we found a way and I found a way and the the people that work here found a way, but we have to set ourselves up for different types of
2: I would say one, one last question I, I want to ask you, because I think people would, would know it. I, first of all, in the 20 years I've known you, we've never been so respectful to each other or never been so serious in any of our, <laughs> a, any of our attractions going forward, but I think it's important stuff but I think that what advice would you give though to people back to a family business? You, you talked about maybe working with your sons. You've talked about working with your dad, who I know was your best friend. Yeah. And yeah. and the idea is, is so, so many people are in family businesses working with their, what's the, what's the best advice? What's the hardest thing? What, what's the advice you'd give a father? What's the advice you'd give a, a, a child or or a mother or a mother?
0: Mm. I think, I think, When you have a business that's a family business that becomes successful, I think you have to have succession plans in place at an early stage. I think they're very difficult things to bring up when people get ill or tragically their lives end. I think that's something that I think most family businesses don't figure out. And then when the patriarch or the matriarch that runs the business, if that's how it's set up were to disappear, I think a lot of times things spiral out of control. And I think succession and estate planning is really important from day one. I really believe that once you're successful, not when you're first building your business and trying to figure out what your business is. And I think, you know, it's such a common thing to use the risk-reward balance and things. But I think when you are taking risks in a small business, and it doesn't have to be in music, you have to really understand what that reward is and what you want that reward to be. You, you can't just think, you know, if you build it, they will come. You have to really know what that reward is that has to be identified. More important than the risk. And I think a lot of times people fail to do that.
2: And I'm also saying, even take one, the human level. It's like, I know having you know Lucas, my oldest son in our business. Yeah. I, I find myself, I'm yelling at him all day. He's yelling at me all day because we're both quick to anger and quick to forgive. But, but, it, but it's great. It's great working with him. It's great working with him every day. And
0: uh, it's been, that's been a joy. And he's eventually going to do things better than you do. And there are things that you've done that maybe he'll never do the same as you. And it's the same thing with me when I was with my dad who mentored me through this. He was really more of an older brother than he was a dad. And I mean that affectionately. So, you know, I, I hope that I do the same thing for one of my sons if they're with me or if they're both involved one way or another going forward. I think You know, one of the smartest things that my dad did for me was when I got out of school and the first year that I worked for him full time, there had been five or six years while I was in grade school that I worked for him part time, which I was pretty much there almost every day after school doing menial jobs, but things that you had to learn from the bottom up, you know, that first year he made me sit in his office and he said, you're going to be in meetings with me with bankers. You're going to be in meetings with me with insurance people. You're going to be in meetings with me with record company people, with artists, with musicians, and you're going to sit at the back of the couch and you're not going to say a word because you have one mouth and two ears. And I want you to listen to twice as much as you speak, but I really don't want you to talk. I want you to take in everything that I do and how I interact with these people. And that's what I did literally for a year. And, you know, I don't know if I'll ever have the ability to do that with somebody, whether it's one of my sons or someone else that I kind of shape and, you know, kind of mentor. But that was a crucial thing that he did. I don't know if he was the greatest delegator, but that that one year was a big, big thing that I think most people should do with their children if they're going to ever work in your business.
2: I think that's amazing advice. I think the other thing, too, is we we want, for some reason, we become a society where we want to keep our kids like... You know, not to have them experience any pain or any hardship, and I think so. So, one of the things that I w- wish I could have done better is, I, I think some of us, we've, myself at least, I think I've made it too easy for the kids. I've tried to get them out of pain, and I think part of the things that fueled me was I had to work through my own pain. And you know, when you work work so hard, I, I I just think it's 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 such a delicate balance because you wanna you want them to grow up and spread their own wings, but you also don't want to see them struggle too much. You're trying to I think it's hard to be their father and their boss at the same time. It's hard to be a child of the boss too. Yeah. And and it's, so it's like, it's, you know, so for you, you just have the unique perspective because, you know, you ran hard for a long time with your dad and built something incredibly successful. But I think you would just hope that if it's Jake or if it's Nicholas, that they take what you've created, stood on your shoulders and took it to the next level. That's all I can ask for my kids. And I think it's all what we want for our kids. We want them to
0: be. And I, and I think they're all conscientious of the points that you just made more so than you might realize, or I might realize. And uh, I think that it's an interesting way in a family business, how to kind of work your way up the ladder. But you have to remember on the way up, you see the same people on the way up as you see on the <laughs> way down and on the way back up again. Uh, and it always, there are going to be peaks and valleys in any business um, and you want to create. And you want to create something special, you want to create wealth and security for people that work for you. And that's not easy to do. It's really, it's, it's not, especially in the service business. But again, you can make the service business very successful if you really cherish those relationships. That's the key. Try, you know, it's like, I want to collect friends. I don't want to collect enemies. That's kind of the way I always look at this stuff. And yeah, I'm not going to, I'm, you know, I'm a hot headed person. I'm not going to get on with every single client that walks in the door. But, you know, at the end of the day, You have to be thankful those clients walk through the door at one at a time, they all come through the door and you want them to come through the door many, many times. And that's, uh, that's, you got to bite your tongue sometimes.
2: Do you think as you get older, you have more patience, or
0: no, or less? No, I think, I think sometimes I, it's, it's less, but you have to kind of take a step back and, you know, you can use that. Typical business phrase being 30,000 feet above it. But it is kind of true. You have to do that occasionally and pinch yourself and realize that without the clients and without the people here, it's four walls and a pile of equipment.
2: (laughs) I would actually, my argument in the 20 years I've known you is I've seen you go from less patient to much more patient. I think you have much they always say all tyrants mellow. Like I've seen you stuff. I've seen stuff in the last few years that would have sent you off the deep end (laughs) 20 years ago that you just kind of, you kind of breathe through it. And you like my dad
0: always find the way to kind of see the high road and the good and, and, and always see the good in people. And, you know, uh, he always would say to me, you know, if you have nothing good to say, just don't say it. Um, And that, that is kind of pretty sound advice that, you, you know, it's kind of old wives' tale type stuff that you can translate to any business. But yeah, you know, at the end of the day, people are coming in, they're creatives, and they're going to have egos, and they're going to have issues, and you just kind of try to work around that and not, you know, not take it personal. That's probably true. Maybe I've gotten better at that.
2: You know, I was going to say, one of our core values is you want to be humble but confident. Confident that you that you need people that you can do the job, that you can provide the experience for them, but humble in a way that, like, Hubris is so ugly and the, the sense that that you want people to be humble because I have a I believe that like when you start believing your own bullshit, the yeah. world has a yeah. way of telling you're not all that and the world has a way of like knocking you down. Right. And so that's why I think you got to stay humble. I think there's nothing more. Yeah. Uh, more. Uh, in fact, I, uh, this was an expression I heard from Frank Ryan years ago. He used to say his his idea of somebody that that had no humility was. He looks in the mirror every day and loves what he sees. And, uh, you know, they start believing their own hype.
0: And and we deal with a lot of people like that. So you have to know how to make those people comfortable, but also do business. I think you have to be reliable. I think that, you know, being reliable is being consistent. You're reliable. I think I'm reliable. I know I am. I know you are. And that's why I think our businesses succeed. And there are tough times. I mean, it's not always, it's not always, you know... uh, a bouquet of flowers. It's not, I mean, business, is, business is tough. And you also, you want to succeed in business. You also don't always necessarily want to win a popularity contest, but yeah, that's another, that's a whole, that that's could old be a has Chaz parliamentary.
2: That, is that it could better be a, to be respected or feared?
0: Yeah, <laughs> <see> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> better see. to be known as being reliable, I think, and consistent.
2: I try. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day and, uh, you know, as I said, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what the next 50 years look like at the hit factory. And I can't wait to see what, uh, what you wind up doing for the celebration in two years.
0: Yeah. I'm going to do something uh, special. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, again, thank you for having me on the podcast and, uh, you know, any way I can be of help to
1: anyone I'm here. So thank you again.
0: All right. Thanks, Troy.
1: You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the hero of the hour podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share the podcast episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode and more at www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to check out the other great books and resources on the website while you're there. Once again, it's www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. All links can be found in the description below. We look forward to serving you on the next episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS or Guardian, and opinions stated are their own. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ 200 Broad Hollow Road, Suite 405, Melville, New York, 11747 631 589 5400. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Northeast Private Client Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0B36048. Arkansas Insurance License Number 741545. Expiration and submission numbers located in the show notes.